We return to the letter to the Philippians. I thank you again for your patience uh, during the interlude. We're going to be picking it up where we left off, verse 19. So Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 24 is what we'll look at tonight. Looking at Timothy as Paul's first example after himself and after the example of Christ, he now is going to send two men uh, back to Philippi before he can get there to be examples to follow of what he's been preaching to them to be, especially in chapter 2. But I would like to start with chapter 1, verse 27, and read through chapter 2 because it's been a while. And uh, I'd like to just read those verses so that I only touch on a few and don't try to preach everything I've already preached to you because it's been a while and uh, I'll be tempted to do that even for myself uh, just to get refreshed. So to refresh, let's begin with chapter 1, verse 27, and we'll read until we get to verses 19 to 24. And that will be the section of our sermon this evening where we are next as we get back to our series through Philippians. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning with chapter 1, verse 27. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which ye saw in me, and now here to be in me. Chapter 2. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. And now we continue with our text this evening, verses 19 to 24. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. 
For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's. But ye know the proof of him, that as a son with the Father he hath served with me in the gospel. Him, therefore, I hope to send presently. So soon I shall see how it will go with me. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. Uh, Let me read verses 19 through 24 one more time to uh, be ready for our sermon. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort, and I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. But ye know the proof of him, that as a son with the Father, he hath served with me in the gospel. Him, therefore, I hope to send presently, so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. Once again, we return to the letter to the Philippians this evening. I thank you again for your patience during the interlude. I'd like to review briefly beyond reading from chapter 1 through our text, just a few things to have a, a recollection of the context and the purpose of the letter and That will help us as we get to our verses tonight. First, this is a thank you letter. It's frankly a a thank you letter for receiving gift of money. The Philippians, as has often been the case, have sent support, but they also sent Epaphrodites to find out how is Paul doing. Again, they didn't have the internet and social media in all these ways. They couldn't text each other or even call each other. And uh, so they send a letter, and it is not even through... The modern ways we know, you know, if we don't get a letter in a few days, especially locally, what is going on? You know, it's much different then. So they want to know. They haven't heard how is Paul doing. They're concerned. So this letter is to thank them for their uh, concern about knowing uh, his situation and status uh, and also to explain why Epaphroditus is about to return to them so soon. This letter is going to be brought by Epaphroditus, and we'll hear about him next week as the other example of what we're looking at. But he's thanking them for their loving concern and their sacrificial support. Upon the occasion of the letter, and because of hearing a report of their status through Epaphrodites, it would seem, he takes the occasion in the letter also to address a particular concern. He addresses a few things, and the theme of joy uh, runs through, but he particularly is concerned about what he learns is a need for better unity at the church in Philippi. And that that would be by virtue of humility. So we see that in chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, and chapter 4, verses 2 to 3. You need to get along better. You need more unity, and that comes through humility. Now, he is concerned that they would do that by having the same like-mindedness that is the mind of Christ and would be mindful of the example of Christ as showing in, uh, that humility. That's chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. And it's against Israel's bad example in chapter 2, verses 14 to 15. You'll recall there's a lot of Old Testament illusion going on there. He's saying we don't want to be like that. Think about all the murmurings and complainings and the lack of unity and how much that got so many of them, not only to die in the desert, but to die early in the desert. <laughs> you know, so a lot of them didn't make it 40 years because all this fighting and disunity and arguing and going against God and his leadership. So Christ is giving us an example to follow as the true Israel, the true beloved son. And then Paul is saying, follow his own example. Chapter 1, verses 12 to 14 verse 30, chapter 2, verse 17, he says, I'm pouring myself off out like a drink offering on your behalf, and I'm glad to do it. But beyond the example of Christ and his own example, until he can get there, which he hopes to get there, verse 24, I'm hoping to come shortly to be with you. Until that time, he's hoping they will follow Timothy's example, whom he hopes to also send soon and ahead of him. Verses 19 and 23, I'm hoping to send Timothy to you soon. I'm hoping to be there soon, but in the meantime, once I know that I can send him, I'm going to send him. Now, next week, he's going to say, in the meantime, I'm sending you Epaphrodites, because I probably can't send Timothy quite yet, but I'll probably get Timothy to you before myself. 
And he's given Christ as an example of humility for unity. Uh, self-sacrifice, selfless service. Now he, he's also given an example of himself. He's referred to them as of their selfless service also, but he's concerned that there's not as much unity as there should be. And he wants to get ahead of it. Again, remember, this church is his particular love and joy and encouragement. It isn't Corinth. It's not Galatia. But he wants to keep it that way. He understands you got to nip it in the bud, recognize challenges now, and turn the corner, uh, just as we thought, heard with John Owen, give more of Christ, focus more on Christ to kill the sin and to kill the disunity. So he is saying, I'm going to send Timothy to you. Follow his example of what I just started telling you. And then he's going to send Epaphrodites, who will actually come first. Follow his example. But we'll look at Epaphrodites' example next week. All that being said, particularly thinking of our verses tonight, James Montgomery Boyce says this. In the remainder of chapter 2, Paul uses these persons to show that the things he has been writing about are possible for the one who will surrender his or her life to God. Well, that's helpful because maybe you might think, as I can, sometimes it feels impossible. Not, not that we don't want to do it, but we just don't know that we can. We just know how horribly sinfully proud and selfish we can be, and it's hard to imagine we could ever change. We want to change. Timothy is an example that can be done. It is important for us to have good examples of sincere and selfless Christian service to follow in other saints. That's why Paul Simon Timothy now. That's the main idea I give for you the, for this section of the text tonight. The main idea, the main idea of the text, the main point. It is important for us to have good examples of sincere and selfless Christian service to follow in other saints. Probably I should have worded it a little more smoothly. Let me do it now. It is important for us to have good examples of sincere and selfless Christian service in other saints to follow. Either way, I hope it's smooth enough (laughs) to get the main idea. You see, because Paul will send Timothy for the Philippians to have his example to follow in such service. Timothy, uh, there's an overlap. Uh, Epaphroditus will look a little bit more at sacrificial service, but Timothy, what we're being shown generally, what's highlighted by Paul, is he is sincere and he is selfless. And Paul is saying, this is what I've been preaching about. Now, I'm sending you a picture sermon example. Look, I've told you what to do, now follow. You know, we kind of have that Sometimes uh, managing in different workplaces, right? We'll teach a person what their job duties are, but we don't usually send them right out to do it. What do we do? Go uh, follow this fellow or this lady for a while, <laughs> right? Just shadow and see how they do it. Uh, you know, really a lot of good ministry and discipleship is mentoring. I know a lot of when I've grown in the Lord is when someone else has just been a good example for me to be around, whether it's been family worship or, or the things. I've said, ooh, I, wanna, I, I need to bring that into my home. So uh, Paul has said, follow me, follow Christ's example. Now I want you to follow Timothy's example. And uh, may you and I, therefore, follow Timothy's example as we see it taught to us tonight. That is, serve the saints sincerely and selflessly. Uh, That's the message for you this evening. It's a lot of overlap. It's not really all so surprising, I think, because he's just saying, now follow Timothy's example to do what I just told you to do. And following Timothy, may you and I serve the saints sincerely and selflessly. That's the message for you this evening. First of all, serve the saints sincerely. You remember that phrase, test your metal? test someone's metal. You remember uh, where that's coming from? Particularly uh, where I was for a long time in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, there's a lot of mills. Uh, I'm not thinking of the iron places so much as um, broader Pennsylvania, some of the more rural areas. You know, mills um, by the creeks and rivers and stuff where, uh, like the millstone kind of idea. And uh, what would happen is test your metal is before someone's going to hire someone that comes, hey, I, I've worked in a mill for a long time. I know what to do. Hire me. Let me see your hands. Okay, I'm seeing bits of metal in your hands. 
you really have worked in such a place. Because that's what would happen. You'd have bits of metal in your hands, just part of the, at least at that time, maybe before OSHA, right? <laughs> that is just part of the trade, you know? It's kind of like uh, you play guitar for a long time. I can't show you that I've played for a long time. It used to be when I would do this, you'd hear tapping like a piece of plastic because you get calluses, you know? And uh, so that's kind of thing. Test your metal. Uh, so you can show you're worthy of hire because you've shown you've been doing it. You've been able to do it. You can do it because you've been doing it. You're, you're real. You're genuine. Uh, look at verse 22 in chapter 2 here. But ye know the proof of him, that is Timothy, ye know the proof of him, that as a son with the father, he hath served with me in the gospel. Timothy hath already proved himself to them. He's already proved himself. His medal's already been tested. That is, his hands have been tested, the medal's there. The work of the ministry is done. If you think about the illustration of keep your hand to the plow, we're often told, like Galatians in the ministry, um, you can see they've been holding on to the plow. You've got some splinters there and certainly some calluses, right? Uh, that's the idea. Timothy's proved himself already. Uh, the Greek word for prove, according to Charles Erdman, is it means uh, it indicates not only that which is revealed by testing, but also that which results from testing. Uh, that character, we're seeing the character being discussed about Timothy. We, we see... Um, we see revealed by the testing that he's true character, but we also see the testing has developed his character. He continues to show up for ministry. He's not as good as he's better than he used to be. Isn't that what we all hope to say? Well, one thing to encourage us, I look back over the last 10 years, last 20 years, I'm better than I was by God's grace. Something's happening, right? You know, um, think back about, well, I shouldn't be the same as I was before. I should be improving. God's working in us. And you keep showing up for ministry. You keep showing up to serve the Lord together. You've got the metal tested to say, yeah, you've been growing. And Timothy has been tested. He's proved himself. That is, he's dependable. He's not perfect. One of the things that's kind of seems to be subtle in this text, another commentator brings out that I don't, because I, I don't think it's significant enough, but it seems to be he's fearful. Uh, he's, he seems to be rather frail. Uh, I think we uh, remember elsewhere, Paul has said, hey, Timothy, have a little wine for your stomach. You know, he's, he's frail, he's fearful, but he keeps showing up for work. He keeps showing up to do the ministry. He's not Paul, right? And he's never going to be Paul. I find this helpful, right? You know, uh, certain ministers, especially nationally known and everything like that, you know, I'm never going to be that guy. I'm never going to be preaching without notes. I mean, I ad-lib off the notes, but, you know, it's not who I am. That's not going to be what I'm able to do. And you don't have to be. You just keep showing up for ministry. You keep showing up to serve the Lord and the church year after year. And you prove that you're dependable. Therefore, you prove that you're real and genuine because you keep showing up. Frank Thielman points out that this idea of prove, Timothy has proved himself, that word prove, he says, refers to the quality of having remained faithful through difficult circumstances. Well, that's what we see with Paul, right? Uh, that's what we see with, I mean, Timothy. And Paul says, oh, all that stressful stuff and terrible things happen to be. And then more than that, the daily care of the churches, right? It's, like, yeah, it's hard. It's difficult to be serving the Lord, be serving the churches. But uh, the real ministers, they keep, they keep showing up. They keep serving. And, of course, uh, they're telling him to look at Timothy as a young minister. To, you know he's shown his truth because he keeps being dependable. He's loyal. He's not perfect, but he keeps showing up. I've often heard that uh, the seminary uh, students you don't usually want are the A students who want perfection. The C students are the ones that last. <laughs> and after all, the ministry, huge turnover, right? And a lot of the ministers do not go to another church. They just quit. And many move on to other churches regularly because it's so difficult. I was just talking with a minister the other night who wants to move on. He's tempted to move on, and he's already been offered another ministry uh, that's real close to his house. It'd be so great. Why? Because he's getting beat up in his church. It's hard ministry. And uh, I challenged him to stay. <laughs> uh, I'm not the Lord. He'll have to discern with wisdom and many counselors. But what you want to see is somebody that can hack it. I remember uh, Dr. Stevenson speaking of someone that was considering the ministry. Um, he said, this, this person doesn't have it. And what he meant is he, he didn't have the, 
the disposition to, to be able to last and just not quit through all the problems. So you see his service happening regularly. And I really appreciate what William Hendrickson draws to our attention. How do they know that he has already proved himself? Paul's saying, you have personal experience with Timothy and recollection. Well, Hendrickson points out, Timothy was present with Paul at the founding of this church. He was with Paul, Acts chapter 16, 11 to 40. He was there when they first founded the church. He was there doing the ministry. And after all, remember, they wanted to go somewhere else. But the Holy Spirit said, no, you're going here. All right, (laughs) you know, I'll go where you send me, Lord, right? Um, Often, he visited them already. He's already been visiting them. Acts chapter 19, verses 21 and 22. Acts chapter 20, verses 3 to 6. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 1. So when he says, you know, he's already proved himself because he was there when I was there. And the Lord did a work and started you guys. And he's visited you regularly since. So naturally, he's coming back again. He just has a heart for you. He truly cares about you. And thus, he will care for you again without feeling burdened to do so. And it's going to be a big deal to go there. Not only did they not have modern means of communication, they didn't have modern means of travel. He doesn't have to be persuaded to go, oh, really? I got to go to Mexico. Can't somebody else do that, you know? Uh, isn't it isn't it my turn to go to, I don't know, pick your place everybody wants to go to. I can't think of what. I don't want to seem prejudiced or anything. But you know what I mean? It's like there's certain places like, uh, maybe, please, Lord, don't send me to Africa. Some people might say, guess what? That's where you're going now. You know, like, like we, we, we want to be called to the place everybody wants to be called to, you know. Um, Timothy doesn't have to be persuaded to go. Verse 20, Paul says, he naturally cares for you. He will naturally care for you. The Greek word there could be just translated genuinely. He genuinely cares for you. And he says, he's proved it, and you know it. And not just that he's been there regularly, but of course how he is when he's there. You know when somebody really doesn't want to be spending time with you, right? You can kind of tell when they just kind of have to, and they're checking their clock, their watch, you know, or on their phone, or whatever it is. You know when somebody genuinely wants to be with you, and when they're, they're okay with it, but they're going to be happy to move on. He genuinely wants to be there. Now, this reflects Paul's own sincerity toward them. I mean, chapters 1 to 2, what he's been saying, but thank you for all your support. You are so, such an encouragement, a blessing to me, and I, I'm just so encouraged by you, and I, I want to see you again. I'm hoping to see you again. Um, and, uh, and then we see uh, in verse 19 that Paul has this same concern. I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy, sh- Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. Good comfort. That is, I just want to be cheerful and happy. I just, I just want to know you're okay. Uh, that's why he's writing the letter. Thank you for your support. You can't stand it when somebody can't be bothered to write a thank you letter, right? Especially when a church sends money like this. He cares enough to send a thank you letter, right? And while he's at it, not just, hey, thanks so much, you know, and uh, a stamp of a signature, you know, <laughs> a form letter. Uh, John joking around, a, a thoughtful letter where he's saying, while I'm writing, I want to talk about what I'm hearing. I'm not going to pass it off to someone else. I want to try to help you remember how to be more unity. I'm concerned for you there. And then I'm sending some people. And by the way, for Paul to send Timothy and to send Epaphrodites, that's not good for him. Where is he writing from? In prison. He's, if you remember from earlier sermons, he's pretty much forgotten, other than those who want to try to hurt him with their preaching. Boy, it is, you know, who knows how long they're going to be gone. And, uh, but I'm going to send Timothy to you. I'm going to share Timothy Epaphrodites with you. He has that same heart. I'm cheerfully excited. I want to know how you're doing. I want to know you're okay. It's going to make me happy to know you're okay. He's sincere, genuinely concerned and interested. Verse 24, but I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. He's earnest. I really want to try to see you soon. Because I just can't wait to try to help you. I'm going to send others to get there in advance of me. But I, I'm trusting I'm going to get to see you soon. It's not a burden. It's a blessing. 
elders, officers, but especially elders, ministers, may we review 1 Peter 5.2 about serving Christ's church, whether it be here in this ministry and all the different things that come with it, the, the way that uh, all the work with governing and setting a new foundation can wipe us out, all the painstaking work uh, through the years with some things that are less pleasant than others, um, just the, the uh, effort of going to presbytery and doing the things that are necessary to try to be more biblical, confessional, and we trust will bless the church over time. May it not be something we act as if it's a burden, but a blessing. First Peter 5, verse 2. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly. Not for filthy looker, but of a ready mind. I'm reminded of something I shared a long time ago, when we, I think we were earlier in Matthew, related to those who would... Lord is looking to to have service. Why did the Lord call upon fishermen particularly? Because fishermen know how to keep showing up when nothing's biting. My my young my sons love to fish. All of them, probably Gideon will too. <laughs> it's pretty neat. I like to fish, but I loved to fish growing up because all I had to do was walk down the hill, and the fish bought bit like crazy, and my brother would do all the hard work taking the fish off the hook. When it got hard to fish, I wasn't interested. I fell asleep one time when I visited as an adult after living out of way in the boat while they fished because I was bored and tired. <laughs> Fishing takes a lot of steadfastness, and you keep showing up. And so I like that, the, that our sons like to fish because I always tell them, you see, this is good. We don't know he's going to catch a fish. We don't know when or where we will, but you keep casting the line just as you keep casting the net. Jesus says, I'll make you fisher of men. What did the fishermen have to know? They have to know to just keep going out, casting the net through all kinds of weather and difficulties and to know how to wait, wait all night, but you just keep showing up. Similar to farmers have to know how to do these kinds of things. That's why farming is such an image for the ministry. I think of that, and I remember uh, Steve Lawson, one of the preachers often heard on RefNet Radio, Ligonier Ministries, I remember what he gave, and I give to you this rather roughly because it's, it's, a, it's a rough uh, memory. But I remember him saying, I think particularly seeking out deacons, but officers in general, any formal leadership in the church, he says, when you are looking for new leadership in the church, and you can think of what Paul says for qualifications of elders, not a novice, not a new convert, right? But more than that, his advice, when you're looking for new leadership in the church, Make sure that you have observed them make it through a couple of problems in the church. Make sure that you have observed they've been here long enough to see church isn't so happy and easy all the time. Make sure that you see after your church goes through a problem and an exodus, they're still here. They're still loyal. They're still more concerned about the body than themselves. Paul is saying, that's what you have in Timothy. And that's what you need to be like, Timothy. Not just officers. Saints, this is the same for all of you. He's, he's writing in this letter to the saints broadly in the church there. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 and 5, among other things, charity or love vaunteth not itself and seeketh not her own. Timothy is to be the example of the saints that they not be quarreling and demanding of their own rights, insisting upon their own ideas, but instead deferring, serving, submitting. Because that's what true ministry is, and that's what true Christianity is. So Paul will send Timothy and recommends him in advance for their model to follow. The letter that you're going to have from Epaphrodites, who I will speak in the scripture we'll look at next week, follow him, the hand of the man, the man with the hand that hands you this letter, follow his example. After all, the reason he's here is he brought a letter for you, now he's coming back after he just got here, and he almost died. 
he's back now to, to bring you this and, and communicate for me. But in this letter, I'm telling you, I intend to send Timothy shortly after him before me. Follow Timothy's example. It is a model to follow of what I've just written a few verses before. And if serving sincerely, then it will not be selfishly. Serve the saints selflessly. Serve the saints sincerely and serve the saints selflessly. It won't always be concerned about what I get and who's doing something for me or somebody knows it's about others. It's about I don't need I don't even not even looking to be noticed. And I'm happy to serve. Those who say they're going to do something, those who say they're going to help someone, but they don't show up, or they don't show up on time, or they especially show up late, and if they do show up, they don't show initiative, they don't show earnestness, they have to constantly be told to get up and what to do, and they do a poor job, and they do an incomplete job, they are really only doing it for themselves. Because that's not how you serve people, if it's really about serving others. And often, the ones who do the least amount of real service talk the most about whatever they've done or they think they've done because it's for them, and it's not for Christ or his body. Therefore, they talk a lot, and they actually do very little. In verses 19 to 20, Timothy is sincerely interested in their needs, and so he wants to serve them. Sincere service is selfless. It's about going and meeting their needs. He is like-minded with Paul. Like-minded. Gordon Clark points out, as do others, that more literally it is equal-souled. Like-minded is the idea of being equal-souled. You could think about the idea of being equally yoked, right? In marriage, equally yoked in ministry, we are just equal-souled. We have the same heart, the same sense of calling for these people. And we are like-minded. We are equal-souled. Timothy is equal-souled with Paul for the Philippians. And therefore, he's like-minded or equal-souled with Christ, who has been given as the prime example. Uh, Chapter 2, verses 5 to 8. Let's do read that. Chapter 2, verses 5 to 8. Let this mind be in you. By the way, look at verse 2. Make me so happy. Fulfill my joy that you would be like-minded, equal-souled, right? Be equal souled like Timothy and I are. More importantly, like Jesus. Verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Have that mindset. Follow that example of Christ. That is, be selfless in your service. If it's sincere, it will not be focused on self, it'll be focused on the saints. And beloved, if I can say this, it seems to me in 10 years of ministry with you, I'm not speaking of you, but it seems to me in all different kinds of ways, sometimes visitors, most people are only concerned with themselves. They make decisions and they do things that have absolutely nothing or no one else in their mind except themselves. Paul is saying, don't you be like that. Be like Timothy. If you're sincerely serving Christ, you will be serving others, not yourselves. Though no one else is serving without selfish gain, Timothy is. That's something else. I don't have anyone else. Imagine, I don't have anyone else that is willing to come to you. Imagine if somebody from Presbytery said, I'm sorry, Puritan Church in San Diego, I don't have anybody that wants to come to you to minister to you. Your pastor's out of town, or you're in between pastors, or your pastor's sick, or you, you need some help with ordination. I'm sorry, you're, we're, you know, we got other things to do. We got bigger fish to fry. You know, I'm sorry, we don't have anybody that's willing to come. 
And that's what Paul says. I don't have anybody else that's willing to come to you. It's amazing to think about, isn't it? Uh, they're happy to be in Rome. That's where it's at, right? You know, that's why there's so many people competing, trying to make him look bad. They're happy to be in Rome. I'm not going to Philippi, even though they pri- pri- prided themselves in being a Roman colony. It's not the same, right? Look at verse 21. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's. Verse 20, uh, I, I want to highlight again, I have no man like-minded. So I should say, you know, he's saying by implication that Timothy is like-minded, but on the other hand, he says, I don't have anyone else that is equal of soul with me for you. No one else has you on their heart, but Timothy does. And then verse 21 again, for all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. And he's not speaking about pagans. He's speaking about other ministers, other leaders, quote-unquote servants, they're really serving for themselves. They're not serving sincerely, evidenced by the fact that they won't go out of their way for the sake of others. This brings up something we've heard earlier in the letter, chapter 1. Look at chapter 1, verses 15 to 16. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill, the one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds. It's more about being the preacher that's now the one that's going to replace Paul. Paul's getting old. Paul's in prison. Paul's past his prime. There's a new day. There's a new ministry. They're not sincere. Uh, They preach Christ out of envy and strife, not sincerely, but with contention, trying to cause me affliction. Competition. That's something ministers have to be really careful about, right? The Lord is working in other places, too. And sometimes the Lord works with certain people in a different place, goes further with it for some reason. To keep us humble, and we're not Jesus, and Jesus doesn't work through one minister or one church. Let us not be envying and competing with others. Let us simply be looking to give a witness and rejoice. Paul says, even those people who are doing it out of contention and trying to hurt me, what does he say? I praise the Lord. At least the gospel's being preached and the kingdom is advancing. Even if they're not sincere, the message is true and people are responding to it. But he's saying, those people will never go to Philippi. But Timothy will. He doesn't need to be invited to the first Presbyterian Church of Rome or whatever it is, right, on the main thoroughfare. He's happy to go to a little podunk, wherever it is. I mean, Philippi is not exactly that, but it is a, it's a colony. It's out there. Uh, you know, it's not the same as being in Rome. But Timothy will come. Timothy will come. He'll be happy to come. That's the way we're supposed to be. Because it's not about us, it's about Christ. And if it's about Christ, it's about his church. And every single person that Christ shed his blood for, I ought to be able to sweat for. We ought to be able to sweat for. Uh, These other folks that are doing it out of contention, they'll be happy to fill vacant pulpits in prime locations, especially if it's, you know, in some kind of a network or... you know, live series or whatever, uh, but they won't simply be willing to go see simple people in obscurity. But Timothy is willing to be sent, verse 19, and because he's willing to serve, verse 22. Charles R. Erdman says this, Timothy was the only one who would take a genuine interest in the Philippians. You can imagine how glad they would be to receive him, huh? Thank you for coming to us. Thank you for coming to minister to us. How thankful they were for Paul. That's why they kept in touch. They knew Paul loved them and was sincerely interested in them. And, of course, they'll be glad to have Epaphroditus back. They will learn later they were grieving over what might have happened to Epaphroditus. They were really concerned. Part of sending him back is to say, he's all right. Epaphroditus is grieving because you're grieving, thinking he might have died. And so we want you to see he's okay. I mean, All of this going out of your way to serve somebody else, just to bring relief, to bring uh, people to, ah, okay, good. Verse 
he's willing to do that because he's already been serving Paul as a father. This is just who he is. Verse 23, he's been serving Paul. Paul's even saying, um, I'm, I'm going to send him to you, but I, I'm not going to send him yet because I need him. <laughs> I really need his service to me. I need his help. But as soon as I can, I'll serve him to you. He's already, that's, his life is service. Service is the saints. It's not self, selfless. That's sincere ministry. Uh, not looking to be quoted on Facebook all the time, right? Not, not looking to be the teacher, but looking to be the servant. The student. He's studying under Paul. He's serving. He's just not looking to try to impress people. He's just looking to serve people. Notice also, he's serving with Paul, verse 22. He's serving Paul, but he's serving with Paul, such as with uh, Philippi, but obviously here in Rome. But that's another thing uh, that's nice to draw out. The commentators will draw out Paul also as the example he's already given for them. Uh, He served with Timothy, not over him. Though he's the father, Timothy's as the son. He's not saying, he served me as my son. He said, my son served with me. We served together. Now, look back at chapter 1, verse 1, the greeting. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. This is unusual. There's a few things that are a little unusual here in the greeting. He's highlighting the bishops or the pastors, but notice also he's highlighting the deacons. What are deacons? They serve. They are servants, mercy ministry servants. He's highlighting them instead of himself. He refers to himself as a doulos, remember, in the Greek. A servant, some would argue slave, but a servant for sure. And he's likening himself as a co-servant with Timothy. He's not speaking of himself as he does elsewhere. An apostle called by Christ with all authority. He has to go there, right, with Corinth and Galatia because they're not listening. And he needs to point to that authority delegated him by Christ. Here he doesn't need to do that. So he's happy to speak to him about himself as a, just a co-servant, a co-servant, possibly slave with Christ or with Timothy. And I'd rather highlight you and your formal offices as I greet you, while I don't list my own formal office. But notice it's a co-servant with Timothy. Now, regarding that, that he's serving with me, and I'm speaking of myself as serving with him, not over him, James Montgomery Boyce says the following. First of all, if you are a member of the younger generation, do you see the calling to which God has called you? In the example of Timothy, it is not to rebellion against your parents or against the older generation in general. It is to work with them in a mutual service to the Lord. You will be able to do this as you learn to serve Christ's interests and not merely your own. Well, Timothy, after all, is younger, and a younger generation can tend to be thinking more about themselves. And that's why when we really see a servant in a younger person, it usually gets comment because it is a little more surprising and a little more sparse. Those who are just really sincere about the church and thus serving and not making demands. I don't have a youth group or, you know, I don't get to use my gifts in this field. They're just serving. They're too busy serving. So they're not worried about complaining and murmuring, which is what Paul warned about earlier, right? But he goes on to not only address the younger people. Boyce says this. This verse speaks also to the older generation. You have the duty of raising your children. You are to lead them to become faithful disciples of Jesus Christ. You have a role of supervision, but you must never forget that you actually serve with them as bond slaves of Jesus Christ. I think maybe hearkening back to chapter 1, verse 1. We have to remember, whatever authority we have is delegated, and it's only to be servants, just as Jesus served. And that's all in chapter 2, right? So even as those who are older, especially those of us in office, while we have official capacities and official delegated authority that comes with that, nonetheless, we are serving The only reason these offices exist, the only reason we're here, is to serve the saints. It's not about trying to set up a job after retirement 
for instance. Dennis Johnson, in his commentary, writes this. Well, I'm paraphrasing. Timothy is the replica of Jesus. Timothy is the replica of Paul. And as he uh, reflects them, he is the replica of the, quote, submissive, selfless servant. Notice that word submissive. He is submissive, selfless servant. That is, he's looking just like Jesus. And Paul's sending Timothy, and he's drawing Timothy to our attention, that we would follow his example, that we would bring unity in the church in humility by following the example of Timothy, selfless, submissive, and thus proving to be sincere. So, beloved, may you and I be. Timothy is being sent to be our example, to do, to see it in action of what you and I are to be doing in action. Chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. Fulfill ye my joy that ye may be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Paul's sending Timothy to us as an example of how to do that. And it's pretty much saying the same thing. Go be like Timothy. Sincere seen in selfless service to the saints, submission to the example of Christ, who submitted himself to the cross. On behalf of the saints, Dennis Johnson also writes this, the interests of Jesus Christ are the welfare of his people. We find Jesus' love for his people moving us to love them in risky and costly ways, foregoing our precious privacy, And giving away our precious hours or days to bring Christ's compassion and correction packaged in our own persons to those who need his grace, though they do not deserve it any more than you or I do. That's Timothy's example for us. Beloved, think of 1 Corinthians 12, again, the body The body works as we're concerned for one another. And the least, most insignificant part of the body, Paul says, is often the most important. Think of that and express it with Psalm 122 as you sang. I joyed when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. I pray for the peace, for the felicity, for the prosperity of my brethren. I want what we sang about in Psalm, uh, we read in Psalm 133, the blessed unity of the believers. And as you do that, be willing to serve to make it happen at your own expense, sacrificially, which will be seen even more in Epaphroditus next time. Particularly, he will be highlighted to us as the example of personal sacrifice. But Timothy naturally and selflessly was, of course, also sacrificial in his service. If you don't mind my referring to Dennis Johnson one more time, he brings some extra helpful stuff out this week. Verse 19, he says, Paul is implying that Timothy will take a trip from Rome to Philippi and back again to Rome. Johnson writes this, In today's world of speedy transcontinental air travel, we might not realize the cost in time, comfort, and safety that Timothy's round trip would entail. Before I continue, I mean, if we miss a flight, if a flight gets canceled, we're delayed for a while. I mean, he, nothing like that these days. We have no idea what it was like for him to do this. Johnson goes on, the most direct route would be overland from Rome on Via Appia to Brindisi on Italy's southeast coast, over 350 miles. There are not cars and trains and airplanes. He's walking. 
he says, a voyage across the Adriatic Sea, about 90 miles, would bring him to Dyrrachium, the western terminus of the Via Ignatia. Then he would make a 360-mile trek eastward on the Via Ignatia across Macedonia to Philippi. In order to bring news from Paul to Philippi and from Philippi back to Paul, Timothy would invest weeks in order to make this arduous and dangerous trip over land and sea. I'm sending Timothy to you, and actually Epaphroditus already, same sacrificial trip. But they're just following Paul's example. He's just following Christ's example. Sincerely loves Christ, so sincerely cares for Christ's saints, and he'll go out of his way to go serve them happily. He'll deny himself to do these things. Just like Jesus, who, as Paul talks about in chapter 2, came all the way down from heaven, and as the living God took on humble humanity, why? To die for you and me and all his saints. For he is the suffering servant who saves his people from their sins. And beloved, as I was thinking about you, putting the message together, and as I look out among you, I sincerely say that I feel Paul could not only have been writing about Timothy, but he could be writing about you. Keep following the example of Paul. Keep following the example of Timothy and Epaphroditus will learn about next week. That is, keep following the example of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Keep being who you are and serve the saints sincerely and selflessly. Let us pray. Lord God in heaven, I do thank you for your church, and I thank you especially for this church, and I thank you for these saints here whom you shed your blood and died for. I thank you for the love and the selfless and sacrificing service we regularly see within one another. I thank you, Lord, that especially as many of us are, many of the saints here are struggling with health issues, yet they are so quick to be serving the needs of others at a time of more acute struggling Lord, I ask your blessing upon them, that you are pleased. I ask your blessing on their souls, that they are equal-souled with one another and with Paul, with Timothy, Epaphrodites, most importantly, with you. Bless them to continue to serve in like-minded humility, selfless, sacrificial service for the unity of the body and the witness to the glory of God and that Christ really came from heaven from the Lord because they see our love for one another. We recognize, Lord, that just like Philippi, though we have those things, yet there can always be the danger of division. The littlest things can start festering, and so we pray you would remove the littlest splinters and specks out of our eyes. As Paul would have us see, remember, be careful, look at my example, look to Christ especially, but look to Timothy, look to Epaphrodites, and just be sincerely serving Christ. That is, serve without thinking about yourself. Help us, Lord, to think about Jesus as we serve and the body of Christ, his saints. Let us serve you sincerely by serving your saints sincerely and selflessly, just as you did for us. And we pray in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord and all your saints serving you here said, Amen.